Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN, and your host for the Cloud 23 podcast. This episode is a really interesting uh, one-on-one discussion between me and Rocky Gruber uh, about infrastructure, infrastructure patterns, AI, and, and how all of these systems connect, and, and really thinking deeply about what it takes to design great systems. We cover a ton of ground and connect it all back together into systems design in a way that I know you will find really fascinating. Um, Rocky has really depth of experience here, and it is a fun conversation. I know you'll enjoy it. It's, you know, it's, there's an interesting parallel on just how, you know, the, you know, infrastructure that you build, one takes a long time to build, but expertise to run the infrastructure is, you know, it's, it's real. Oh yeah. And that's the kind of stuff that in most instances, AI can't replace. And it's also the kind of stuff that they try and get AI to replace. That was the whole knowledge base originally. It's like you can't, you want to capture the expertise. The expert, yeah, the old expert systems in that yeah. in that wave of AI, right? Yep. And Which that actually helped hard. a lot, but it it informed newer people. And so it did help a lot, but it didn't eliminate the need for the people. It just made transition smoother. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so you're actually capturing knowledge that otherwise. Yeah. Hmm. And so you could expand your your um, you could expand how much you did quantity, but you still needed to capture that expertise. And uh, keep capturing it, and people still had to make the the more the managerial uh, decisions to keep it going. It's like the expert systems informed the people doing the work, but couldn't have replaced it because there it was a sixty seventy percent solution. You think we're but, getting closer? From that perspective, I mean, we're not training systems the same way now. It's yeah, uh, uh, which is not bad. I mean, now you're training them by observing, observing uh, experts, copying their actions, and then predictive, predictive behaviors. So uh, there is a woman out there who uh, named Emily Bender that wrote about stochastic parrots. Okay. Her phrase, and it's gonna become installed in in AI uh, language at some point when we, you talk about AIs. Uh, she's very good at explaining why what we're doing is not going to get us over the hump, and the the key is that. Yeah, humans are great at pattern matching, and we've gotten AI to be even better at pattern matching. But 
the decision making based on those uh, patterns is not something that can be that has been uh they've been able to find a way to build into AI. So it's all stochastic parrots. They look at the stochastic results and they parrot them back. <laughs> That's it's an uh, interesting it's it because in all the chat GPT stuff that I've seen I've heard, um we we don't we, it's talking about like generating materials. It doesn't talk about making decisions. Exactly. Oh, I haven't seen that. It's interesting. Does it not make decisions? I haven't seen anybody you, ask it and, to choose for me. So the the key huh. is, is you don't want it making decisions because it would make un... It it doesn't have it's it would make amoral decisions. The decisions would not be based on any sort of uh, hu humanity included uh, information. I, it's, an, it's actually the way I've heard it described as ChatGPT is uh, a very is very eager to please people. Yeah. And so it makes stuff up if if it doesn't know, it it makes up plausible sounding. Like it's very good about making pl up plausible sounding lies. <laughs> yes. Uh the other thing is is it's extreme it's extremely bad at doing stuff when you ask it to do something on the negative side. What does that uh, mean? So uh so if you say, uh, do this and this and don't do this, the don't part, it just fails at. Um, actually, one of the things I saw just last night was uh, count count down from five and it counted five, four, three, two, one. Okay. And then they said, count up from negative five, negative five, negative four, negative three, negative two, negative one, zero, one, two, three, four, five. And then they said, why did you do this? And they said, well, I was counting down here and I was counting up here. They said, why, why did, why did you only count down to one, but when you can't count up, you counted through zero and up to five. And it said, well, I was counting down here and I was counting up here. And I was like, oh, okay, that's why you did it. No. <laughs> that's fascinating. What an interesting, and actually technically if you're counting down from negative five, you should go negative six, negative seven, technically. No, <laughs> they, actually I said, they said count uh, up from negative five. Oh, they okay, didn't okay. give it an endpoint, but they didn't give it an endpoint for counting down from five. Fascinating. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Somebody's, I, I love, you know, it's as fascinating as the GPT uh, thoughts are, I, the, mm -hmm. the, ways people are testing and exploring it are fascinating. 
Yes. Like there's, there's a, there's, you know, the, what, the, how people are playing with it, I find just as fun. And actually how people are playing with it is also an excellent example of why you need testers. Yeah. In everything, because <laughs> you know, even manual tests, you, oh, manual testers, they don't even know how to code. It's like, doesn't matter. They know how to think. <laughs> <laughs> at least some of them do <laughs> no it's see it's it's super hard for that yeah yeah so it it's fascinating watching that stuff but emily bender is one she actually has a very good paper out there that is the one that talked that uh first introduced the term stochastic parrot but she just did a podcast that's supposed to be excellent on uh, how what's missing from this decision making in AI at the moment, and that uh, it just why it's an ethics issue. And what did she say, "Yeah, I'm curious." Out of, <laughs> I have to go. I just heard it was excellent. I haven't listened oh, okay. to it yet. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But, but I, she's, yeah, go ahead. she's supposedly very good at distilling out and explaining in human terms what the issues are that the AI community has been debating for so long. Did uh, I was I actually heard a review on one of my tech podcasts of the movie Megan. Um which um, somebody it's from an AI ethics perspective, it's actually supposed to be fascinating um, because it's they, there's this problem. You probably have more familiar with it than I am called the paperclip problem. Mm-hmm. Somebody actually built a game on, on this. The paperclip problem is if you ask an AI to make paperclips, um, it, it, and if it was a self-improving AI, it would ultimately convert every piece of matter in the universe into paperclips. <laughs> right? it, would, it would go to war over with humans over resource contention over its mission to create paperclips. Right. Um, and there's an element in the in that in the movie Megan where her the AI's mission without any other guardrails is to um, like protect the child or Ah, um, yep. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating loop on that. Yeah. Um, I like, I like the stochastic parrots. That's, and that's <laughs> one of the things about chat GPT. It's like, it's, it's learned from a whole bunch of stuff, but somewhere it's just parroting back, you know, and it's, it's uh, digested. For, yeah. for, um, for infrastructure monitoring and whatnot, uh, this whole pattern matching is great, but you still need the human to decide whether the machine need everything needs to be shut down or things need to be adjusted based on experience and other stuff. For instance, if if there had if if there have the stuff monitoring Twitter right now. And the AI says, oh, this thing is getting big. We need to shut down. 
uh, the the only way to to deal with it is a reboot, and so shut down the whole uh, data center. Well, mm-hmm. that would take Twitter out for now for months, <laughs> maybe forever. Uh, but back in the past, it would have been it would have been weeks if a whole data if uh, all of that all if Twitter needed to uh, ended up falling over because the uh, problem with with booting everything up from zero, the system had run so long without ever having a boot that there there would be so many circular dependencies and everything that they it would take forever to get it up to dig out those instances and fix them and move on to the next one that causes it to to fall back over again mm-hmm. that's right that makes sense yeah we see that's that's a challenge with how any of these systems reach um, exactly the larger they are the the less they can afford to being reset to zero even with your software mm-hmm. no that's right does stage being able to bring bring something back on and and we wouldn't necessarily address you know that's nothing that's you can't design that in that's an architectural you have to understand you know and put in um Netflix described this really well you have to put in um circuit breakers yes yeah. that's, the, that's that's the circuit the circuit breaker pattern of of actually putting in the circuit breakers is critical for a system to stabilize and people uh. don't People don't necessarily um, think to design in. So I, I know, like even for for what we build, there's a there's a couple of places where um, you know I would love to see us add circuit breakers in. I know mm-hmm. it's hard. Sometimes it's really hard. Um, but there's times when we have like a, a task that's trying to be performed, and we're we're waiting for that task to be complete, and if you're not, you know, it, it, you have to be very careful to design a circuit breaker so that that if the, when the task can't complete, it doesn't cause the system to wait forever because it can be really hard to for us. It's really it can be really hard to stop the system. We're getting better, right? But. Right, and in fact, that and I know damn well that someone at Netflix used this example when they were talking about needing to build in circuit breakers. The New York City blackout of 67 Mm. was caused by a a power plant that went offline in, it might have been, it was either uh, Niagara Falls or in like Michigan or, or Indiana. And it wasn't even a big power plant. It went offline. And it was before the days of grid design. So they were just hooking up all the systems, <laughs> making it one large system. And the power plant went offline. So failed open. Right. And in the wonderful world of analog power, it looked like a dead short in New York City oh, when it no. hit a specific okay. a specific point in New York. It was a dead short because it was a quarter of a wavelength away. Okay. And so dead short. So all that power 
plant failed and then it was cascading power failures all the way to blackout New York. So that's when they started figuring out they need to design in circuit breakers in the power power grid. It's you're you're actually making me think back to um Texas is um two years ago, the the, the big oh, storm. Yeah. <laughs> and um the thing that they were worried about um from that perspective and, and the reason they, they shut down all these power plants so or, or load shed so aggressively um was frequency the same thing you're describing was frequency modulation there's there's the power all these power plants have to be within a certain percentage of of matched frequency or i hadn't, I hadn't even thought about you know the consequence of being off phase you're gonna you're literally um shorting the the mm-hmm. plants yep you're you're um, flooding them with uh with more power that they can handle but but to bring the grid back online and this this was fine i i you know as much as engineering as i've done that this idea of okay that to make that work they're going to have to bring on you know one plant let it set the tempo and then bring on other plants let them match bring on other plants let them match it's it's it is yep. a, the you know they have to stage it you know there's inertia in that system in a reset and if they lose the tempo resetting the tempo on these things is is um and there's i don't think they have any real way to rehearse it uh, I, guess when no. they, I guess when they take a plant <laughs> offline no when they, i guess when they take a plant offline which they do for maintenance all the time yeah exactly plant has to plant has to come back up and, and synchronize tempo so so the key is is they're used to doing it one at a time and they might be able to extend that to to two to even five at a time, but there's a certain point where they sit there and go, nope, we're not going to do more than that at once. And so it's going to take X amount of time to get them all up because we can only do so many at once. And I think that's also the case in a lot of these water plants. Yeah, the city of uh, Jackson, Mississippi, when the plant went off, they couldn't get it back on all that quickly because again, water is right. analog and waves and stuff like that. So you, you have well, things like to, back flow and all sorts of things. the pipes. Yeah. No, yep. it's, um, yeah. And then even once they, we had this happen because they would in my old neighborhood, they would break pipes all the time. And once you lose pressure in the pipe, it's, they can't guarantee, you know, they, it has to flush to guarantee it doesn't yep. have contaminants. Um, exactly. I mean, talk about water hammer, <laughs> yeah. water hammer and a 24 inch pipe. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, well, and then it's, you're going to have all of those, you know, every, you're going to have air in every tap. Yep. Um, which then again, you're right. That's compressible. What air is compressible. Um, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's interesting. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of, of tech analogies in this, um, from a, a startup perspective, but the um, we're talking around, I, I don't know if you remember like two years ago, I was, I was thinking about the complexity, this um, complexity paradox of all this hidden complexity uh-huh. um, and um, what, and one of the things that I, I was struggling to articulate then that we're talking around now really well is um, the services that people are building are, are, Built, uh, built on the assumption that they're running 
It's very, very hard, if not really impossible, to build your system around a partially available service if it's like Amazon or the security. You know, like we have the big Facebook air outage, we have the Amazon outage. All those things are built around this complexity result of like, well, I, I can't test what happens when the service goes down. Because I can't take the service <laughs> because, down. Because yep. I can't take the service down. And uh, Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and, then if it, and then if it doesn't happen, people, there's no way to learn. You don't you lose those skills. Right. right. Um, and then if it does happen, you learn. And then those people either leave for more money or you lay them off at bad times. <laughs> no, that and, is... no, and they're not. And a lot of these system folks have forgotten that expert systems are out there to capture some some or all of that knowledge. Yeah, I, it's so hard to get people to learn. <laughs> this is we we there was a Joanne and Rich had a conversation um, on on the Thursday session. I think this was last Thursday. It was. Um, the, I was just like my jaw was just dropping listening to talk about data lakes and context. Ah, um, really fascinating conversation that I was I was like I I am two levels below my, my knowledge to, <laughs> to follow everything you're saying. Um, but they, Joanne, Joanne was advocating with that. You could contextual that, that you needed to contextualize data. So to make it more consumable. Right. Um, and you're, you're giving an example here of um, an expert system that would hopefully have contextualized information about running a, running an infrastructure. Right. And so the context is captured. The system itself doesn't understand any of the context. They just know that it has to be there. And with the context, it's part of the pattern. But the, the people around it, right? How do you get them the context? <sighs> right. Because that's the that's classic, that's the classic, like, you know, pilot error type of thing where I, I pushed a button. Um, I, well, uh, actually, the 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 seven eighty seven error um, was yeah. a context data problem where the pilots were trained to re respond, read certain things, and respond a certain way. And the, the that was you know, while Boeing had like put a bulletin somewhere, you know, in this in this case, you should push up <laughs> instead of down. It uh. didn't it didn't align with the training expectations and therefore pilots, you know, use the knowledge, didn't have the knowledge, you know, didn't have the knowledge in the context. Right. Yes. Um, and yeah. that's, and so the, the thing with expert systems is generally you can, uh, when they captured that knowledge, they captured an explanation with it. That was one of the things about expert systems. There, there was an explanation to go with it. So they captured the context in a human readable form. Whether it was enough context or not for the people that are following the instructions, at least they could follow the instructions and they were given something that kind of sort of made sense as to why they were doing it. But, um, and that's a part of the issue with uh, large large model, especially large language model, is there's no way for the uh, the system doesn't 
there's no way to validate that the intermediate steps are valid or have the correct context in this particular Uh, case. And that's part of the discussion in the AI community is that you, you can't test these systems. You, you can't trace through the systems how the decision was made. With the expert systems, you could see how the decision was made. With these neural net trained systems, most systems cannot tell you how they got to the answer. No, that's, and, that's right. So, uh, and that's partially why you need people to sit there and say, oh. Yep, the answer's right. Or nope, this is totally off in left field. <laughs> that, that, there's actually an opera. So, you know, one of the re- things that people ask me all the time, it's like, why can't we use AI in building automation or doing more of this ops work? Um, <laughs> well, and what, what you're describing is actually like the intermediate process is the work. <laughs> exactly. I always try and figure out a better way to explain this. Like knowing the answer is, is, is not actually what ops is about. Ops is actually about the process that gets you to that result. Um, and, and people don't, you know, they don't want to deal with the work of that pro of, of the process, but you can't omit it. Exactly. Um, and, hmm. and that's part of the, that that's a big part of the problem with things like ops. Ops is a process engineering problem, not a product. That is a very succinctly put point. And actually, I, I know one of your favorite topics from a QA perspective, it's the same, it's the same thing. Right? It's a process. QA is a, is about the process that you go through. To right. test not not it's not about finding the bugs. <laughs> And that's, that's the result. But the, the, the point is the process, not the bug. And that's actually, uh, and if you go back to engineering schools and you look at what different disciplines of engineering there are, there are very few process engineer, process engineering disciplines. And those are the ones that are everyone always considered the hardest. (laughs) Chemical engineering. That's that's what my my youngest is studying um, environmental. uh, Yeah. And 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 it's it's, you know, in civil and and I I actually should go back and reinforce this to them because sometimes it's, you know, they, they need to understand what they're it helps for. And engineers in training, right, to understand some context of what they're trying to what yes. they're trying to learn. Yes. But but yeah, one of the hardest things in an environmental system is that it, it pushes back on you. <laughs> what, you're learning, <laughs> what you're learning is the process by which it's going to push back and settle. That and and this is what I like this about mechanical engineering, right? The inertia of systems is really really important. Computer yes. science people tend to forget about inertia. Because computer science people aren't engineers, That's and <laughs> they're they're used to to digital and and whatnot. And the in the digital world, everybody it's the old physics: assume a perfect sphere, <laughs> assume 
a zero charge or a a positive positive one or positive negative service is on or the service is off right yeah and the world's a lot messier than a perfect sphere (laughs) which which we've been which i that's fun because we've been talking about this this is is right this is so cool because right we've been talking about really inertia in systems right the breaker pattern stuff is Mm -hmm. is an inertia you could boil it back to an inertia problem as much as anything else how do we you know create the momentum that the system has when it's running to handle load that it, it can't have on the on, on bootstrap. Right. And and the fact that that inertia uh it's it's the old physics, it's also the physics of static versus yeah. dynamic. And dynamic, you've got all these waves that suddenly become very physical uh static things like mm-hmm. gravity and and math and waves become matter and and and, and, and carry energy right right that, that's exactly. one of the things that's fun about waves is is, is the, the particles don't move much but the the energy but they definitely carry energy yeah yeah and that's so it, funny to think about yeah there's there's we we don't in a lot of these systems talk through frequencies and inertia momentum resonance right you see it in in any of the real good diagnostics that i've seen um the honeycomb team did a really nice one for srecon last year oh. um where they talked about uh, these these talks are public it's it's was a fascinating decomposition because they really went into um this pro- they, they converted some of their back-end um, analytics to run in Lambda. Um, and it was highly parallelizable, but the way they set it up was that every time somebody went to a dashboard page with a 30-day review, they would parallelize like um, 30 times 24 out, you know, times a certain, like, like a thousand parallel processes through Lambda. Ah. They'd assemble it. Super cool. Um, <laughs> they had some customers who had, you know, would, would require, you know, like 15,000 lambdas to be spun up. Whoa. They, were break, they were breaking things. But, um, and at those numbers, the, the difference between warm up time um, was material in the start cycle and in the, the result cycle of, and the failure rate. Lambda failure rate was also material. It's at when they got into it, um, but the and and then you would there's a resonance frequency between the time it takes that stuff to build and a user waiting for results. And if they hit refresh, <laughs> and oh. they had they had times where like the user hitting refresh a couple times would rack up you know significant bills in their lambda consumption while they were wow. while, while they had a resonance with the user on the other side it was a, it was really it was really cool um a thoughtful talk with a lot of data they've done a really nice analysis um and uh, yeah and you know i think that's part of the whole complexity thing going on right now now that you talk about it and that uh we've gotten large enough that these digital systems are no longer acting as digital systems because there there's so much time lag and power being shifted left and right and every which way that it's become an analog 
uh, feedback system. And it does have inertia. Hmm. And, and you're not going to get software developers, most of them, to understand that because that's not part of their uh, college curriculum. Unless they get good physics or uh, thermodynamics helps. But I, most I of them don't have to even take thermodynamics. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, it's, it's you know, going back to my, my college student, right? They're, they're doing dynamics, thermo, uh, fluid. I think they're in fluid dynamics right now. They're just, ah. calling, it, they're just calling it dynamics. Um, so maybe it has some thermo too. Um, but to do that, you also need... Right, you know, second order differential, and and be cool if the, the yep. cool thing would be if they can teach some of these courses without requiring the math. Um, they they tried that uh, when I was at school at MIT. Uh, the the um, the thermodynamics uh, the doubly required thermodynamics but they didn't have a thermodynamics course so you could take a physics course was which was really theoretical and out there and hard you could take a chemical thermodynamics or you could take a mechanical thermodynamics and that was the easiest one but they taught that one without the Oh, without um, partial differential equations. Yeah. Yeah. And so they use the the dot equations. And if you've been learning all of the real math, it actually was confusing and, and more difficult for me to backtrack to the, the dot product mathematics. So it it's actually better to just make sure that everybody has the math and, and <laughs> at least for me, I mean, some people found yeah. it easier because they didn't have to understand the dot product stuff. They just used it. No, no but, that's. Because mm. <laughs> you, it, it certainly eliminates a lot of the calculus, a lot of the, the higher end calculus, but it just, really limits the understanding of what what's going on i think it's funny because some of that stuff um i and i i i, I always assumed that people could into it but but <laughs> I have, i'm a very mathematical thinker and so visualizing math is easy for me which i it took me until i was an adult to realize that not everybody did that ah yeah <laughs> Yeah, my dad was that way. It's like he could, he knew how higher order math worked. He could never help me on my homework because he just knew what the answer was. He couldn't tell anyone how he got there. I was, I was, I was just like, well, just imagine the volume being rotated around the axis, and that's the answer. <laughs> and and I, I, I would be like, <laughs> I'm like, just, just, yes. <laughs> and I, I don't. I, don't re I wish I remembered exactly when when somebody looked at me like I was insane. I was like, <laughs> I can't. I don't think like that. Um, actually, it must have been when I was pretty young because I took that as a sign that my thinking was better, not that my thinking was different. Ah. Um, 
And so I've, 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 I've had to grow up a lot since those it, days. It was probably sometime <laughs> before you got your PhD, but after you were <laughs> through the undergrad. Oh, gosh. You yeah. Know, I, I wish I could go back into my, my, my young self and add some of the humility I've learned over the <laughs> Actually, it's it's funny. My you know being in the leadership role, you know, here it's I, I learn more humility than than that. That's actually the most humbling of the job. <laughs> wow. Yeah. If you haven't had a chance to spend time with Rocky, like I just got to. Um, I highly recommend it. Uh, she is just a wealth of information and really interesting perspectives. Uh, if you get a chance to look her up, talk to her, find her as she uh, uh, investigates and starts using Mastodon. Um, really, you will get a lot out of the conversation or just join us as is my constant recommendation. Come in at the 2030.cloud, look us up, pick a topic, come to the round table and be part of the conversation. I want to learn what you have to say and think. I'm looking forward to meeting you. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.